Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. I'm Kazum. And today we're discussing chapters 62 and 63. Woo! <laughs> we made it out less, of the war. <laughs> I was going to say less war talk this time. I was going to say no war talk, but there was like a little bit. <laughs> There's yeah. a little, definitely less though. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> not, not four chapters of war talk. Nope. <laughs> I thought Cosmo was going to say something because he didn't hear him take a breath. <laughs> no, I, I said yup under my breath. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like enhance. <laughs> anyway, I'm just gonna start doing that. You're gonna open up. You know, this chapter opens up. I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> he said that. That's right. <laughs> so quietly that we don't hear it now. But then when I'm editing it and I turn your volume all the way up because you're quiet, I'd be like, wow, he was saying it's a lot like, of it's stuff. It's a ghost commentator. <laughs> <laughs> Our fourth, ho- our fifth host, because Bowie's our fourth yes. host. <laughs> our fourth, ho- our fifth host is Ghost Cosm. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna do our you know typical thing, uh, summary and then discussion. Yeah. Um, but first of all, thanks everyone for tuning in for our special mid-series episode. That was very fun. Yes, yeah, it was. It was mm-hmm. fun. I mean, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Five hours of fun. I hope oh, you enjoyed goodness. it. <laughs> Wait, so how long was it uh, before the editing? Uh, like, how know. much total audio did we have, do you know? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was probably, it was between five and six hours. Because like, like I've probably... eliminated it from my memory. Yeah, basically. I blacked out. What are we doing again? <laughs> 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 yeah, we had a good time answering your questions, and we, we hope did. you enjoyed uh, listening to us answer your questions. Some of you <laughs> followed us on the Instagram, and it made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it makes my cats now. happy, I guess. <laughs> huh? Bowie's even more famous? Yes. <laughs> He's famous by face and by squawk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, they really did it. Wow. <laughs> when they did when the I sing. They hit the button. <laughs> yeah, they hit the follow or whatever the fuck it is on Instagram, you know. All right. So chapter 62 opens up back in the present in Reese's apartment. That's everything I know about Ishval, she says. Ed is silent for a moment, obviously still processing all of this. He looks down. I know Colonel Mustang intends to be the next Fuhrer, but even if he succeeds, as long as this country remains a military dictatorship, it's only a matter of time before there's another civil war or more conflict with rival nations. Maybe he'll do a better job of protecting the country, but we'll still kill people from other countries. That's true, Risa says. Our first priority should be to restore power to the parliament, which is just the military's puppet right now, and move this country towards true democracy. Then we can negotiate with other nations to reduce our armaments and search for a way that we can all survive. Maybe that's the only way. Arms reduction means abolishing the state alchemist system as well. I see, Ed says, then suddenly realizes something. Hold on, that means... Yes. Those who were praised as heroes during wartime will be seen as murderers when there's peace. That includes not only the colonel, but people like Dr. Knox, who conducted experiments on human beings. I, too, might end up on trial for the injustices I committed in Ishval. Our uniforms are all that's protecting us now. Ed is shocked by the idea of Roy continuing to aim for the top when he knows this might be the result. That means he's on a path of self-destruction. Riza doesn't refute this. He swore to protect those below him, 
Knowing him, he'll use any means necessary to defend his subordinates from being implicated. Ed clenches his fist, seeming frustrated. But the cause of the Civil War was envy shooting and killing that Ishvalan child. The homunculi were pulling all the strings from the shadows. It's not fair that you and the colonel should be punished. The homunculi may have started the war, but we were the ones who carried it out, Riza says firmly. The colonel, myself, and undoubtedly Brigadier General Hughes must have felt the same way. We ended the lives of countless people. We don't have the right to choose when to end our own lives. That's why, at the very least, we want the next generation to be able to laugh and live a happy existence. But Ed isn't ready to accept this. That's not right. Of course you want the world to be a better place, but don't you want to be happy too? He remembers the moment when he tried to offer his own life in exchange for Al's in their first confrontation with Scar, and adds, Self-sacrifice is the ultimate selfish act. Riza holds the gun she loaned to Ed and calmly explains, This isn't about martyrdom. Because we survived Ishval, we feel that this is our duty. She smiles gently. You're kind of like that too, aren't you, Ed? Until Alphonse regains his former body, you're putting all of your own needs second. Isn't that true? Instead of worrying about us, shouldn't you think about the things you still need to do? Like getting back your and Alphonse's original bodies. There must be many people who can't wait for the day that you succeed. Ed still looks troubled by the situation, but he lowers his head and just says, Yeah. They get up from the table, and Risa goes to see Ed off, promising to get in touch if she learns anything that might help him. She sighs over the fact that she's now assigned a position closest to the homunculi, when she's the one involved in all this who knows the least about alchemy, and Ed worries a bit about her now being a hostage. But Risa just shrugs. Look on the bright side. As the Fuhrer's aid, if he lets his guard down, I can always cut his throat while he sleeps. Ed grins uneasily. Yeah, bright side. <laughs> <laughs> As he heads out the door, he remembers that he has a message for the colonel, that Scar is still nearby. And then he says, Lieutenant, thanks for telling me about Ishval. Riza smiles and waves as he leaves. Over at Knox's place, the doctor is also wrapping up his story, with the understatement of, a lot of bad things happened in Ishval. He talks more about his role in the human experimentation that happened there, and says that, Eventually, I began to believe that I no longer had the right to treat living human beings. That's why I became a coroner after the war ended. He finishes off his coffee and sets the mug in the sink and the pile of other dirty dishes, then says that it's time for all the kids to get to bed. He calls out to May on the couch, and also to Lanfon, who's been listening in from out in the hallway. No more brawling, he says. This is one geezer who doesn't like the sight of children trying to kill one another. The girls both look down silently. Al gets ready to head back to the hotel, and May gets up to see him off and thank him for helping her. She calls him Mr. Armor, so Al introduces himself and explains the situation with his missing body, since she's obviously seen that his armor is empty inside. And May's romantic fantasies have found a new target. I really, really hope you get your original body back soon, she says, eyes sparkling. And crying tears of joy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she has, like, the exact same kind of, like, romantic princely fantasy of Al. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With, like, a winking face. Mr. <laughs> Alphonse. <laughs> Shaw May looks happy, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Al's on the top of her food chain, so. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> Al is deep in thought as he trudges back to the hotel, thinking about all the horrors of Ishval and his own situation. I studied alchemy because I wanted to make Mom happy, so how did things end up like this, he wonders to himself. If Mom could see us now, I bet she'd be really disappointed. 
As he continues down the street, he runs into Ed, who is heading to Knox's place to find Al. They sit for a moment and talk about how they're both feeling kind of not great after hearing about all the horrific war crimes and such. <laughs> and such. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's like, so are we, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lieutenant didn't hold back, even though I'm still basically a kid. She told me everything, Ed says. They say an alchemist is one who seeks the truth. That sounds awfully pretentious. And we don't even understand a fraction of what's going on around us. I get it, Al says. The colonel is already thinking about what he's going to do after he gets what he wants. Ed considers this thoughtfully for a moment, then asks Al what he wants to do once he gets his body back. What are his dreams for the future? Al hesitates for a moment, then makes Ed promise not to laugh. I want to eat an apple pie, he admits. And Ed laughs. <laughs> Al kicks out at him as he teases his brother for having such a girly dream, and defensively shouts, When we promise to bake me an apple pie! <laughs> Ed, still laughing, says, Sorry, sorry, I admit, her pie is out of this world. They both settle down, and then Al asks Ed what he wants to do afterward. He admits that he's been so focused on figuring out how to get their bodies back that he hasn't really thought about what comes after. I guess the first things I do are head to Risenbull and to our teacher, just to let everyone know we're okay. Al agrees with that, especially since her teacher has been helping them so much lately. They'll all be happy to see us, right? he asks. Ed smiles and says they will. They'll smile, won't they? Ed agrees again. I told you before that I can't wait to see your smiling face again, but I want to see everyone smiling. Al laughs softly and says that thinking about the future has cheered him up, and Ed eagerly adds that, though things have been tough lately, there's finally some hope. Remember when we were underground and couldn't transmute? Well, turns out at that time, none of the alchemists above ground could transmute either. Al catches on quickly. That little girl in Scar. That's right, they were the only ones who could. There must be something different about their alchemy. Something we don't know. Ed grins eagerly. The pipsqueak is at Dr. Knox's. I have some questions to ask her tomorrow. We aren't beaten yet. Meanwhile, Scar has taken the new revelations of the Ishvalan War a bit less well. A terrible silence floods Marco's cell as he finishes his part of the story, until Scar slowly says, So the stone used to massacre my people was created out of the lives of other Ishvalans? Marco says nothing to deny it, and Scar lashes out, hauling Marco up by the collar and letting his feet dangle as he shouts, You son of a bitch! You forced my countrymen to kill their own people! Don't think I'm going to let you die easily! Marco doesn't fight this. I understand. I'll do anything to atone for my sins. But Scar doesn't do it. He clenches his teeth, shaking with rage, then suddenly throws Marco down to the ground and turns to slam his fist into the wall with a guttural cry. He grinds his fist into the wall in silent frustration, then slowly turns back around. Marco, tell me more about the alchemist named Kimberly, he demands, which Marco, shaken and confused, agrees to. Also, there was one section of my brother's research that I couldn't decipher. Before he died, he said, there's something strange about this country's alchemy. I'm guessing that's what he wrote about in his notes. You're a skilled alchemist. Can you decipher it? There's something strange about this country's alchemy, Marco repeats puts a hand to his chin thoughtfully and says, I'll try. Good, Scar says. Now I'm breaking you out. Marco protests that he can't leave, but Scar simply says, If I kill you, there won't be any problem, right? And then, much to Marco's confusion, take off your clothes. A little later, Father and Envy come by to check on their prisoner, only to find Marco's bloody and twisted corpse with the word vengeance smeared in blood on the wall above. Envy is furious and immediately realizes Scar must be responsible but Father notices that one of the guard chimeras is missing. 
Marco is an alchemist who specializes in research on living creatures, he thinks, frowning. Out in the city, Marco, barefoot and holding Scar's jacket tight around himself, looks around nervously as he hurries to keep up with Scar. He worries that the homunculi might figure out what they did and come after him, and that he stands out too much walking around naked in a dirty coat. But Scar leads him into the back alleys, where the other struggling and forgotten citizens make their homes, and tells Marco to quit worrying. You blend in well. The next day, Ed and Al call Dr. Knox and receive the unfortunate news that May has already left the house. We get a short flashback to her thanking Knox for helping her as she prepares to set out again. Knox says that she should rest longer, but she doesn't want to inconvenience him anymore, and she wants to make sure that her companion, the nice man with the X-shaped scar on his forehead, is all right. Knox freaks out a bit about May traveling with the serial killer, but she insists that he's a good person and she'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Besides, she adds, glancing over to where Lan Fawn is sitting on the couch nearby, if I stay here, we might end up fighting. Back in the present, Ed frustratedly asks where May went, but Knox says that she didn't say, though it wasn't that long ago, so she's probably still in the city. Ed hangs up angrily and announces with frightening fervor that he's going to hunt her down with all the power his rank as a state alchemist allows. <laughs> that would be an abuse of power, Al shouts. The two then bicker, very loudly and publicly, about how they're not supposed to be doing anything to draw attention to themselves. <laughs> and they decide to settle down and play it cool as they go forward. <laughs> Especially in terms of fighting in front of crowds of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, May has made it back to her weird little group. She cheerfully greets Scar and Yoki, then spots Marco and asks if they have a new traveling companion. He's not our companion, Scar growls. This man is my enemy. Marco introduces himself to May, and she recognizes his name from what Dr. Knox told her. He told me stories about Ishval, she says. He said that you were army surgeons. Marco looks down, ashamed, and Scar cuts in with a sneer. A doctor? What a laugh. This is the man who created the Philosopher's Stone. He's one of the ones responsible for the Ishvalan extermination campaign. But May only really hears one part of that. Immortality, she cries. She grabs at Marco's sleeve and urgently asks, Dr. Marco, do you really know how to make the stone? How? Where is it? Marco stutters for a moment, but Scar says, firmly and quietly, Stop that. You mustn't ask about that. It's not something you should desire. May quiets down, staring at Marco's guilt-written face. Yuki finally asks the obvious question. If this man's your enemy, why are you traveling with him? Scar flexes his hand. Because he might prove useful to me. He calls Marco's name, and the moment he looks up, Scar grabs his face and unleashes his destruction alchemy, much to May and Yoki's shock. But Marco isn't dead, just crouched on the ground, clutching at his bleeding face and groaning in pain. Scar explains that he only destroyed the surface layer of his face, and tells May to stop the bleeding, but only to stop the bleeding. It's better for his face to be disfigured so no one will recognize him. We're moving on shortly. May kneels down beside Marco, and Yoki asks where they're going to be going. To the place where I hid my brother's notebooks, he says. The North. Meanwhile, Roy's crew are all preparing to go their separate ways on their new assignments. Breda delivers a new set of dumbbells to Havoc in the hospital, telling him not to slack off and to take care of things while they're away. Fury says goodbye to Black Hayate outside Central HQ, then bumps into Fallman on his way to return his chessboard he borrowed from Roy during the Bear the Choppers situation. He complains about how cold his future post up north will be compared to these sunny central days, then trades a salute with Fury as they both head off. And inside, Riza knocks on Roy's door, announcing that she's come by to pick up a few things she left behind. As she goes through the shelves, she passes on Ed's information about Scar being in the area. I'll have to be extra careful to watch my back, Roy says. After all, I'm losing a very talented bodyguard. That's true, sir, Riza replies. 
Don't get killed, sir. Roy says, okay, then thoughtfully adds, I've loaded quite a burden on you, haven't I? Risa smiles. Perhaps I've placed my loyalties unwisely. Looking suddenly serious, he says, if you think you've made a mistake, then shoot me. You made a promise to me on that day. But Risa smiles again and says, I can still tolerate this a bit longer, sir. Roy chuckles as he stands up, saying that she's too good to him, and Risa snaps into a salute. Well then, Colonel, till we meet again. He returns the salute. Yes, till we meet again. And with one last teasing warning not to slack off, Risa is gone. Roy sits back down and looks around the empty office with a sigh, noting how much bigger it seems now. He opens up the chess set that Fallman returned to him and begins to take out some of the pieces. My pawn, my knight, my rook, my bishop, even my queen has been taken from me. He picks up the king piece and twists off the bottom, revealing a secret compartment with a small rolled-up piece of paper hidden inside. But as for my prospects, I'm not in checkmate yet. After sunset, Roy dresses in civilian clothes and finds his way to what appears to be a bar of questionable repute. <laughs> <laughs> it's called bar something. Yeah. <laughs> on the outside. But the mm -hmm. inside, brothel question mark? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of very fancy ladies uh, hanging out there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just a bar with fancy ladies hanging out there. <laughs> it could be. That's definitely a thing that exists. <laughs> it's the fancy ladies bar. That's what it's called. <laughs> 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 Could also be the obvious, a barthel. A bar <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call it on the streets I hear. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies inside all recognize him and greet him affectionately, and he greets the older woman behind the bar with a respectful, Good evening, Madam Christmas. She returns his greeting and asks him how he's been, and Roy admits it hasn't been a great week, and he came by hoping to cheer himself up. Why don't you and Elizabeth go someplace fun, Madam Christmas suggests. Roy dramatically rests his head on the bar. Another man took Elizabeth away from me. Madam Christmas asks what he's drinking, but Roy says that he can't drink, since he's still recovering from an injury. He fishes the rolled piece of paper out of his pocket and sets it down on the bar. Give me something special instead, Madam. Madam Christmas picks up the paper and smiles. Okay. Accidentally wrote sets it down on the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's the car in the bar. Yeah. It's like one of those theme Barthels. Where they yes. <laughs> I'm really funny. <laughs> and across the country in East City, a soldier enters Lieutenant General Grumman's office to let him know he has a phone call. A woman named Madam Christmas calling from a bar in Central City. The soldier tried... The soldier chides Grumman for giving out a secret phone number to civilians, but Grumman just laughs as he takes the phone. Not too bad for an old man, eh? This withered old geezer's got an invite. Meanwhile, Ed and Al have begun their search for May by asking if people have seen her weird black and white cat. Ed's, Ed's picture is slightly exaggerated. <laughs> Only slightly, though. I mean, Xiaomi's known to have, like, pointy, horrifying teeth, right? <laughs> I love Al nearby being like, no, this is the real picture. Ignore yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Please ignore my brother. <laughs> That's the end of chapter 62. Yeah. <laughs> chapter 63 opens with Ed now despairing at how poorly their search for May and her cat is going. <laughs> I'll never not laugh at them calling Panda a cat. <laughs> they wonder if she's not even in the city anymore, and have just decided to head back to their room for the night, when Roy pulls up beside them in a car. Ed asks how he found them, 
the answer, as always, is that Al doesn't exactly blend. <laughs> <laughs> Murray offers them a ride back to their hotel, since he has some business in that area, and they get in and explain the situation about Sheen Alchemy and why they're looking for May. Roy promises to ask around if he can, though Ed grumbles at the idea of being in his debt, which reminds Roy, Hand over the money you owe me. I lent you some change when we were in the Fuhrer's district. Tch, you remembered. I guess I have no choice then. How much do I owe you? 500 cents? That's 520 cents. Don't try to shortchange me. <laughs> Ed grumps about him being petty as he digs out the rest of the change, but then he pauses, looking down at the coins in his hand thoughtfully. He closes his hand around the money. No, I'm not paying you back yet after all. I'll pay you back when you become Fuhrer. Roy shoots him a sharp look. Who told you about that? First Lieutenant Hawkeye. She told me about Ishval, too. Roy doesn't respond, and they continue to drive in silence. They arrive at the hotel, and the boys get out, and Roy finally says, Full metal. I'll lend you the money for a little while longer, but one day you will pay me back. Ed gives a slight smile. When that time comes, I'll be sure to borrow some more, and you won't get that money back till this country becomes a democracy. When I return that, I'll borrow something more and make you promise me something else. Roy leans against the steering wheel with a sigh. In other words, you're not letting me off the hook for a very long time. That's right, and you better not worry the lieutenant. They say goodbye, and Roy drives off to his own business, which is apparently to pick up a woman down the road for a date, which seems to scandalize Ed and Al somewhat. <laughs> Scandalous because he's in love with the lieutenant! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad if even Ed can pick up on it, I would say. <laughs> he's like, the lieutenant told me. Also, don't worry the lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> When they were in the office and and Risa is like, um, like whatever, watch your back. And he's like, you can kill me if you want or whatever. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's their version of flirting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have much time to tend to their offended sensibilities, however, as they have an uninvited guest in their room, Old Man Fu, continuing the Sheen tradition of climbing in through their window. <laughs> and like sneaking in and surprising them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he tells them he was getting tired of waiting for them. They take Fu to Dr. Knox's to see Lanfon. Lanfon looks down as Fu stares at her with a stern expression, his fists clenched and trembling. When he speaks to her, it's in the language of Sheen, kept between the two of them. You lost your arm, you failed to protect the prince, and now you wallow in self-pity because you're a cripple? He slaps her suddenly across the face, to the shock of everyone else around. Knox grabs his shoulder and asks him what he's thinking, but Fu continues to shout. You dare call yourself a member of the Yao family's chosen clan? If we weren't in a place of hiding, I would berate you for a full hour. That's enough, old man. She's injured, Knox says. And the anger leaves Fu as quickly as it came on. Your arm, he says, looking at her with an anguished expression. You lost your arm. Lomphon still looks down. I'm sorry, grandfather. I'm sorry. With a trembling hand, he reaches out to grab her empty sleeve and holds it to his forehead. You fool, he says quietly. You fool. A little later, the group is discussing the plan for Lanfon to get Automail. Ed repeats his promise to introduce her to Winry for this, but Lanfon points out that there's a new snag in that plan. Winry is a hostage now, being monitored, and Lanfon's face is known to the homunculi, so a meetup probably wouldn't be a good idea. Ed now suggests Panaco instead, but Fu declines that as well. I know you're trying to help us, and that you respect and trust this Rockbell engineer, but that's exactly why we cannot accept your offer. Now that the enemy has begun to tighten its grip, we must be more careful than ever. We will find an automobile engineer on our own somehow. We cannot accept any more of your help. I'll protest, but we can't just abandon you. But Fu cuts him off. 
If we allow our actions to be dictated by sympathy, it will lead us all to ruin. Sometimes it's necessary to detach from our emotions in order to accomplish our goal. Do you understand, boy? Ed frowns for a moment, then says, I understand. Thanks. Fu and Lanfan change into less conspicuous, Semestrian-style clothing and prepare to leave. Fu thanks Ed now for the help they've given them, then turns to Knox and adds, And this good doctor gave us shelter. Knox immediately protests that he's no good doctor, but Fu simply says, You saved my granddaughter's life. I am in your debt. He gives a short bow in gratitude, and Lanfan does the same. Thank you, Dr. Knox. Obviously somewhere between feeling touched and deeply uncomfortable, Knox stares for a moment, then turns away and grumps. Just, just get the hell out of here. I'm not so nice I'm going to let you stay here forever. Same to you, Albert Bratz. Make sure no one sees you when you leave, and don't ever even come near my house again. No one is convinced by this. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all smiling happily. <laughs> Fu and Lanfan head their own way, but they pause on a nearby rooftop to assess their situation. The Emperor's health shows no sign of improvement. On the contrary, it's getting worse. We must find the prince quickly so that we can take him and his secret of immortality back to Xin. They turn to go, but Lanfan pauses to glare across the city to the Fuhrer's place of power. Do not forget us, denizens of evil, she says. We will return. And on that roof across the way, Greedling sits in solemn silence. Back at Knox's place, now empty of all its guests, the doctor sits alone in the silence, remembering how his recent patients thanked him so sincerely. Me, a real doctor again, he butters to himself. Who am I fooling? There's a knock at the door, and he stands to answer it, grumbling about if it's those Elric brats again. But much to his surprise, it turns out to be his estranged wife and grown son, who were running errands in the area and decided to stop by. They ask him how he's been. Not bad, he answers, seeming at a loss for what exactly to say. You're so grown up. His wife asks about his coroner work, and he starts to answer that it's just been a bunch of bodies as usual, then stops and says, Actually, I did treat a couple of patients the other day. Pretty funny, huh? A guy like me actually trying to save lives? His wife and son share an excited look at this, and his son says, I'm glad you haven't forgotten your duty as a doctor. He eagerly adds that he started studying medicine himself, and Knox is shocked by this. But do you know what I did in Ishval? he says, raising his voice. Yes, his son answers, cutting him off before he can start. And I know why you became a forensic specialist, but I still want to be a doctor. He looks down for a moment, clenching his fist and looks up to meet his father's eyes. Dad, what you did is unforgivable. Your hands will never be clean. But does that mean you should just run away? You're able to save lives, and you're just going to throw that away? Not doing anything is the most cowardly thing of all. Now that you've remembered your calling as a doctor, keep it up. I want to save lives with you. Why are you pushing me so hard? Knox asks weakly. His son puts a hand on his mother's shoulder. Because we're a family. Knox has no response to that for a moment. Stubborn fool, he says eventually, stepping back to hold the door open. Come in for a minute. I'll put on some coffee. I'm not promising it'll taste good, though. His wife and son share another excited look, then come inside as Knox heads into the kitchen. As he takes mugs down from his shelves, he hears them quietly commenting on the mess in his house, then deciding to tidy up while he makes the coffee. He pauses for a moment, staring at the mug in his hand. God, if you do exist, cut me some slack, he says quietly tears beginning to stream down his face. Even a guy like me deserves enough happiness to drink coffee with his family, right? The part always gets me right there. I know. 
every time. <laughs> I've read yeah. this three times recently. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much. Some later morning, we see that May has made it as far as East City, hurrying through the train station there with a bag of groceries in her arms. She overhears two military police officers discussing the current information on Scar's whereabouts, traveling with a dark-haired middle-aged man, and looks worried for a moment. And her distraction causes her to bump into an old woman on the platform. They apologize to each other, and the old woman stops to help her pick up her spilled groceries. She notices May's accent, and May explains that she's from Sheen. The woman is surprised she came all that way just to sightsee in a place as uninteresting as East City, but May says that she's only here to catch a train. After this, I'm heading north, she starts to say, but an announcement on the departing train catches her attention, and she hurries off, thanking the woman for helping her. The woman watches as May catches up to someone wearing a hooded jacket, with Xiao Mei scurrying behind. What an unusual cat, she says. Meanwhile, in his solitary cell in central prison, Kimberly is admiring the Philosopher's Stone he's apparently managed to hold on to since the war. Footsteps approach from down the hall, and Kimberly quickly swallows the stone again, hiding it before the warden slides open the viewing window on his door. Get out, Kimberly, the warden says. You're being released. A little later, Kimberly, now dressed in a rather snazzy white suit, asks the warden what led to his release as he's let out of the prison. He guesses from the warden's grumpy non-response that it was an order from high up. What I don't get is why they didn't execute you after you killed five superior officers, the warden gripes. You must have some friends in high places. Kimberly suggests that they just saw the natural goodness shining within him. <laughs> the warden scoffs at that. I heard you were laughing the whole time while you blew up those Ishvalans. What are the higher-ups thinking, releasing a nut job like you? As they reach the prison gate, Kimberly turns and offers his hand to the warden with a smile. Thank you for all your kindness. The warden shakes his hand reluctantly, muttering, Don't come back. Kimberly continues to smile as he grasps his hand between both of his. Allow me to repay you, he says, as his alchemy sparks. And the warden finds that the watch on his wrist is transformed into a small bomb, ticking away as he frantically tries to claw it off. It won't come off, he yells as the timer continues to count down, and he and the other guards begin to panic. Kimberly, take this thing off! It's almost out of time! The timer reaches zero, and a small spring-loaded bird pops out of the compartment. Just a toy, my dear warden, Kimberly says. A gift for your children. He puts on his hat and turns to walk through the gates. Well then, farewell. Outside, Kimberly takes a moment to ominously enjoy his newfound freedom before a car pulls up and the driver beckons him over. Also ominously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Long time no see, Kimberly, the driver says as he gets in. The driver turns and half transforms, revealing Envy's grinning face. Congratulations on your release. Kimberly isn't surprised by this, so I have your people to thank. Envy changes back into their disguise. Envy changes back into their disguise and explains that Kimberly was freed because the homunculi have a job for him. To hunt down Marco and Scar. The mention of Scar makes Kimberly frown, and Envy takes the opportunity to push that button. Scar has been getting in our way a lot lately. Must be quite a blow to the old ego, eh, Kimberly? The, the infamous Crimson Lotus alchemist. Handpicked to carry out the extermination of Ishval. Missed one? You're right, Kimberly says, looking out the window with a serious expression. It's inexcusable that my symphony of destruction is incomplete. Envy explains the job further. He's to kill Scar on sight, and if Marco is with him, bring him back alive. Envy points to a briefcase on the seat beside them, and says that it contains all the information and money he'll need. Kimberly smiles as he begins to read through the notes. You didn't let me out just to perform this little task, did you? Envy grins wickedly. 
Once you haul Marco in, we've got to remind him who he's dealing with. We'll wipe his precious little town right off the map. Doesn't that sound like fun, Crimson Lotus? How cruel, Kimberly remarks with a smile. He presses into his abdomen to cough up the Philosopher's Stone, and notes that he'll finally be able to use it again. But Envy holds up a much more refined-looking stone, and tells him that it's time to upgrade. This stone, did you use Ishvalan's again? Kimberly asks. Nah. This baby's made out of the lives of the researchers who helped make the first one. Kimberly smiles again as he tucks the new stone away. Dr. Marco's subordinates, you really are cruel. Elsewhere in Central, Roy is paying a visit to Hugh's grave. He has an envelope under his arm and is watching a funeral procession in the distance. The old woman who bumped into May in East City approaches Roy. Is that a funeral? she asks. It makes me sad. At my age, I can't help but wonder when it will be my turn. Roy turns to her and smiles. How can you say that, madam? You still look so young. Roy trails off, staring at the woman's face as realization hits. <laughs> Lieutenant General Grumman? <laughs> Grumman laughs. We promised to meet at Hugh's grave, didn't we? I realized it must be an emergency when you contacted me, your last resort, so I took extra precautions and came in disguise. Roy gives an awkward laugh. I can see how you got your reputation for eccentricity, Lieutenant General Grumman. I could never have foreseen that disguise, sir. Grumman chooses to take that as a compliment. Roy explains the situation they've all recently uncovered about military high command. Grumman is impressed at how much he's discovered, but scolds him for being too hasty. It defeats the purpose somewhat if you lose all your loyal subordinates. Roy sheepishly agrees. We all agree. That <laughs> <laughs> it was too, too fast, too much too fast. <laughs> Grumman then remarks on the fact that General Raven is involved in all this, recalling an odd question he asked years ago when Grumman was still in Central. Hey Grumman, would you be interested in an invincible army of immortal soldiers? So he's not the only one, Roy. <laughs> Just <laughs> asking bad questions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Grumman was asked. It's different than someone coming <laughs> no, up. No, I'm saying General Raven was <laughs> yeah. just walking up to people asking questions like that. But, uh, but Roy walked up to Raven and made the stupid comment that he mm -hmm. knew too much as opposed to being scouted, I, mm -hmm. which I guess is slightly different. <laughs> but yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Roy asks how he replied, and Grumman says that he flat out rejected it, saying that immortality is pointless. Shortly afterward, he was transferred to the Eastern Headquarters. I was never called back to Central City. I've been dealing with chaos and confusion in the Eastern Region ever since. Speaking of confusion, do you remember the riots in Lior, sir? Roy asks. Grumman does. Full Metal contacted East HQ right after discovering Father Cornella's plot, and the Eastern troops were able to mobilize when the riots were still in the early stages and get everything under control. But then, even with everything going well, military command ordered the Eastern troops to stand down and sent in soldiers from Central, and unrest in the city grew rapidly from there. Those fellows in Central City must be plotting something, Grumman says with a frown. He throws his hands up in frustration. Dagnabbit, why can't they stay quiet until after my retirement? Roy chuckles at that. A respected officer like yourself could never be satisfied peacefully whiling away your days in the eastern boondocks. Am I right, sir? After all, you've got a lot of loyal soldiers under your command, many of whom are seasoned, combat-ready veterans of the Ishvalan Civil War. Grumman begins to laugh. I knew that one day you'd come crying to me. That's why I hid the number to my secret phone line inside the chess piece. But I never imagined that you'd call me here to incite me to action. He grins eagerly. Well, well, well. Just when I thought my youthful ambition had been extinguished. You've got this old geezer's flames of ambition burning brighter than ever. Roy smiles. If you get too excited, you'll ruin your makeup, madam. <laughs> Grumman calms back down into his harmless old lady disguise. 
and Roy offers to go and get tea after this. Grumman starts to decline, but he notices in the papers under Roy's arm a drawing of a funny-looking black-and-white cat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point out that in that drawing, the cat ha- the cat, the panda has, like, speed lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one from the beginning of the chapter is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think uh, Ed and Al drew the initial drawings, and then, like, as time went on, they got, like, bored and would doodle on the corners of it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like how you like just... add mustaches to pictures <laughs> and magazines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so speed lines were added. They're like, and yes. then it runs fast. <laughs> Have you seen a fast moving black and white tiny cat? <laughs> Later, Ed has apparently resigned himself to learning about Xing Alka history in the more traditional way and is grumbling his way through a selection of books on the topic at Central Library. To little avail, however, as even the largest collection of books in the country has almost nothing on Alka history. I guess I have no choice but to go to the source. We'll have to travel to Sheen, he thinks, as he begins to put the books away. But it would be suicide to try and cross that desert with my automail. He looks up and then has a small heart attack on spotting Major Armstrong peering at him over the top of the bookshelves. (laughs) (laughs) There you are, Edward Elric, he proclaims, casually pushing aside the bookshelves to approach him. (laughs) Do you think he normally stands over the bookshelves, or was he, like, (laughs) on his (laughs) tiptoes? I think that's his normal height. (laughs) Ed, still startled, asks what he's doing here, and Armstrong scolds him to be quiet in the library. <laughs> I hear you're looking for a young girl with a black and white cat, he says, and then explains that he heard from Colonel Mustang and is acting as his messenger today. He tells Ed that the girl was seen heading north through the East City Station. North, huh? All right, Ed says, grinning. That's all I need to know. I'm on my way. Thanks, Major. Thank the Colonel for me, too. But Armstrong stops him before he can rush off. There's a reason why Colonel Mustang chose me to meet you. He takes a sealed envelope from inside his uniform and hands it to Ed, telling him to take it with him. Ed asks what it is, and Armstrong says it's a letter of introduction. With unusual sternness, he adds, This could save your skin up there, so don't lose it. This person might be able to aid you in your search. Who? Ed asks, now looking a little nervous. Far to the north, beyond Northern HQ, a general known as the Northern Wall of Briggs protects the border we share with Drachma, Major General Armstrong. (gasps) Dun-dun-dun. Another Armstrong? <laughs> There's more than one? <laughs> Other than his sister who we saw in the um, in that special thing? <laughs> the Omaka yeah. <laughs> And we get a glimpse of a shadowed figure seated on a throne, hands resting on the hilt of a saber, with a pair of intimidating soldiers positioned behind. And that's the end of chapter 63. <laughs> <laughs> I should have saved, saved my comments for after your description. <laughs> wow! Wow, another person? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I feel like their look is, like, straight out of, like, the Matrix with the tiny sunglasses, like, the person on the right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're all wearing fur coats, which just, or coats with fur collars, which just reminds me of Canada in the winter. (laughs) It must be cold up there. (laughs) Also, like, on a throne, like, almost, like, in a chair. (laughs) In a chair that that feels like a throne. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, like, it's obviously going for thrones, so I just called it throne. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was like, it's a throne, and I looked at it, and I was like, no, no, it's like a chair, but yeah, no, it's just... Mm-hmm. It's meant to evoke a throne. throne. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So another Armstrong, eh? Hmm. Very mm-hmm. exciting. I know. <laughs> Obviously a relation, because people in, people in manga can't be not related and have the same last name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mysterious, though. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm super excited. Yeah. 
I have no idea what happens next after this chapter. This is the farthest I've read so far. Ooh. Because, like, before... I can't remember when it was. Like, I basically read all the way straight through, like, Ishval. Like, I couldn't stop reading it. Mm-hmm. Right? But, yeah, mm-hmm. no. I don't know what happens now. I'm back in back in, to where I was when we started, not knowing what happens next. <laughs> so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I guess we could talk about what happened this time, though, instead of just speculating. <laughs> I feel like... a. Roy's um, ambitions are much greater than I thought. I mean, obviously he wants to be fear president, right? But then they're like, okay, then we should reinstate the parliament. And then Ed is like, I'm not giving you back money until Amestris is a democracy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's like farther reaching mm-hmm. thoughts and plans, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I love that part with mm-hmm. the, uh, the, uh, the titular 520 cents promise. Which is like what that chapter is called. Mm-hmm. Oh, a, a promise made for mm-hmm. yeah, a promise made for five hundred twenty cents. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Seems like not a lot of money to promise to become Fuhrer president, but whatever. Yeah. I guess it's more just an insurance policy. Yeah, it's, it's the principle. Kind of the point. It's just like a, <laughs> like just a... no. He wants to be the Fuhrer. Huh? What did I say? You said, you said it's the principle. It's the principle. Oh, oh, I understand your joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should just leave. The... I'm not doing a good job posting today. <laughs> Roy would definitely be the principal in the high school AU. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Or like a student who's shooting to be the principal, I guess. Question mark. Is that <laughs> a thing? <laughs> Maybe he's just like a member of the faculty who's aiming to be <laughs> principal. <laughs> return, the, return to school. To... Honestly, honestly, I think... I think Riza would be the principal. Like he's the <laughs> vice principal that wants to be the principal. But he wouldn't want to overthrow Riza. No. She says queen. He said it. <laughs> no. I yeah. heard it. <laughs> yeah, he made a he made a chess, chess metaphor. metaphor. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is like what, the fifth time? <laughs> mm-hmm. You said a long time ago I was talking about some kind of chess metaphor and I was like, You can't just like trade this thing for that thing or whatever and you were like, That's mm-hmm. apt. And now, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> I mean, months ago, probably at this point, it was, yeah. it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I can't remember what it was, but I, I was like, remember. that's more fitting than you realize. <laughs> You're like, hold that thought for like uh, two months. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he has the piece. Oh my God, there's like stuff in it. Whoa, it's like mm-hmm. a spy novel. <laughs> <laughs> that whole sequence of events is pretty funny where he's mm-hmm. like, he goes to the Barthel, as you said. Um, yes. <laughs> and then he, but then he gets the the person in charge to call Grumman. But then he also like picks up a woman and then he meets Grumman. Like what's <laughs> so many intermediate steps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course Grumman came in disguise, which does make sense, but is also hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I like that he apparently shaved off his big bushy mustache. <laughs> Just for the role. <laughs> it was the part that he was born to play. <laughs> I like how he's like, oh, right, my act. Ho, 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 or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) After he gets all, like, uh, fired up by Roy being like, hey, how about you chip in in this takeover the whole government situation? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's funny how long ago this was kind of set up. Like, we had them, like, playing chess and Grumman giving him the chess set, like, Mm -hmm. way, way back at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm just thinking, like, I wonder what Grumman's gonna do. Like, I'm intrigued by this plot line. 
Because mm-hmm. Roy is just like, there's shit going down. And he's like, I'm ready to like do something. But like, what exactly? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like she'd be like, hey, General Raven, I'm interested in that immortal army of yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sign me up <laughs> for whatever your secret schemes are. <laughs> Tell me all the details. Don't mind me. I'm just writing them down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you speak louder into my lapel pin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I like the whole bit. It makes me think of like back when they were doing the oh I'm going fishing bit with the their like secret scheme to like track the homunculi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that everybody knows about Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you go out with Elizabeth? And he's like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I was like, another man took, took her, her away. Me. Yeah. <laughs> funny even ed knows as you said yeah. <laughs> yeah i like that he specifically used the phrase the f- the flames of ambition mm-hmm. like roy lit him on fire yeah. literally literally <laughs> metaphorically mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then he also what his his youthful energy yeah. was extinguished mm-hmm. or something like that yes yeah yeah i don't know i don't have a lot to say right now because i don't know what he's gonna do but i like that he's involved so that'll be mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm interesting yeah and yeah i guess it's like this has been going on for a while and people who aren't on board with the plan get like shipped off so yeah good to know yeah i guess (laughs) and also kind of interesting that raven was like hey how do you feel about an immortal army of immortal soldiers and it's like oh so is that what they think is happening like Mm -hmm. that's interesting too right Mm -hmm. i think we've said before that it seems like uh the military elite who are involved with the plan don't really know like the extent of the plan like we don't either mm-hmm. but i don't think that mm-hmm. it's the plan is to create an immortal an army of soldiers <laughs> mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah they seem to have an, a different idea of what the end goal is than the homunculi yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i don't think they would be so I mean, it's crazy, but it seems like something that would be "quote unquote" helpful to people. So I don't think the homunculi would be into that idea, basically. Yeah. But I feel like they could sell that idea mm-hmm. with all their like research and crap. Yeah. So I guess that works out. Like, how do you feel about an army of Kimbleys? <laughs> Kimbleys never die. <laughs> Kimbleys never say die. <laughs> <laughs> Kimberly's never die. <laughs> I was really happy that Kimberly was back. I mm-hmm. mean, it was bizarre, but I was really mm-hmm. happy that he was back. Oh, something horrible happened that I yeah. need to talk about. So I spilled a little bit of coffee on my desk <laughs> accidentally, and a little bit got into this volume, which I was at first I was like panic trying to dry it, and then I was like, no, maybe I should get a new one so that it's like. Like, my set is perfect and unblemished. And then I realized there's a little bit of coffee on that, like, first illustration. Not not on him, but on the bottom of the page where it's, like, Kimberly in the white suit. And I was like, Kimberly would hate this. And therefore, <laughs> I love it. So now I'm fully committed to the very minuscule coffee stain on, like, one page of my FMA volume. It was a very small amount of coffee, which was fortunate. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that therefore, that's my commentary on Kimberly this time. <laughs> I do enjoy his uh, smooth criminal look. So snazzy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And his his totally hilarious yeah. prank. <laughs> his totally horrifying prank. I think if I was the guard, I would have felt exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. 
Once oh, they yeah. took his hands out of those manacles, they should have taken the hands out of his. They should have walked him outside and then like pulled a ripcord to take his hands yeah. out of the manacles. <laughs> Why did? Or when he goes when he goes out for a shake, just be like, yeah, let's elbow bump. I'm good. This is like like yeah. COVID I didn't, times. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. How about a fist bump, my guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know that we won't get the hilarious toy. Also, if Kimberly made something for me, I would definitely get rid of it like destroy it you never know when that thing's <laughs> gonna come back at you <laughs> it's such a cute little bird though <laughs> it is really cute kimberly was like i have the perfect idea for the perfect children's toy with the perfect bird <laughs> my symphony my toy symphony <laughs> oh no and then the the trick to it is that if the wristband is like tightened enough <laughs> it actually activates it has to be just uncomfortable enough is that what you're saying <laughs> Oh, for, no, a tiny for a tiny hand. hand. For a child, I see. <laughs> yeah. It's... No, oh, sick bastard. <laughs> Who's the sick bastard? You came up with it. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's his invention. Like, I'm just... I'm channeling... I just deciphered Ghibli, it. through me. Yeah. <laughs> I like that... I mean, I feel like it's interesting that he had the uh, complex thinking to be able to make a pop-up watch thing. Like, wouldn't you have mm-hmm. to, like, imagine all the, like, inner workings of the thing if you're an alchemist because i guess i'm still operating mm-hmm. under the impression that like you have to envision the alchemy the thing you're trying to make right so mm-hmm. yeah i could see him yeah. having like done done a lot of research on like traditional bombs that's true getting into alchemy bombs mm-hmm. <laughs> pop-up bombs yeah. <laughs> it's like i used to make pipe bombs but this is so much more elegant <laughs> <laughs> so elegant <laughs> That's also when he developed his smooth criminal look. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, of course, it, it turns out that Kimberly was... Uh, re- somehow, his release was orchestrated by the homunculi, shockingly. Mm-hmm. And he has a new yes. quest. Yes. <laughs> He's out on the mm-hmm. hunt for Scar. And Marco, should he be there at the same time? Mm-hmm. And also to destroy Marco's village eventually. Yeah. Should the need arise. Mm-hmm. So So Kimley's loose. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not excited about that. Except I am, because I kind of am fascinated by Kimberly. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same kind of like, oh dear situation as when like Barry the Chopper was loose. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh oh, that's not gonna end well. And then we yeah. won't find out anything about it for like ten chapters or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, speaking of Vishfall, there was some a little bit of like carryover from the conversation from last time. Yeah. Like, like um, so in addition to like Ed and Ed and Risa have this conversation. It's at the beginning of what we read, but it's kind of like the end of their Vishfall stuff. Where um, in addition to being like they want to kind of reshape the the government, um, and Ed is like, but you guys might be, you might be treated as like war criminals or whatever. You can't do mm-hmm. that. Um, so we had this ret- return to the theme of self-sacrifice as being mm-hmm. uh, not good. Ed says it's, <laughs> that self-sacrifice is the ultimate selfish act, specifically. Yeah. So there you go. It was right there on the page. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but then I thought it was interesting yeah. that Riza also compares uh, the army kind of people's you know, plans to Ed. Like he's putting all of his kind of needs on hold while they're trying mm-hmm. to get Al's body mm-hmm. restored. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the... Um... Like, the way she explains it is, like, they're not, like, trying to throw away their lives as, like, a, like, 
absolving self-sacrifice. It's that like, we're going to do this thing to make, try and make things better. And mm-hmm. if that leads to us being punished, so be it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. She said something specific. It's like, it's not martyrdom. It's something else. I forget. Yeah. It's something else. <laughs> yeah. Duty. It's duty. I think <laughs> it's not martyrdom. It's duty. It's, they yeah. feel like it's their duty to make things better for everyone else. So. Yeah. I just think Ed and Risa should have more conversations. Yeah. I feel like yeah. they could be good friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, someone that he actually respects, unlike Roy. I mean. <laughs> yeah. I think they're now at a point of uh, mutual respect. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Took a while. Yeah. <laughs> they're still going to sass each other, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No, Ed and Risa have a non-sassy mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Roy and Ed have a sassy mutual respect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that, um... I like that Ed was like, and stop worrying the lieutenant to Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also like Risa being like, well, on the bright side, I guess I can always slit the Fuhrer's throat while he sleeps. Yeah. <laughs> I love Ed's like slightly nervous uh, smile. Like, yeah. yeah. The bright side. Right. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about Dr. Knox? Yeah. With, can we talk about Dr. Knox without crying? That's no. a no. <laughs> we stopped in the middle because <laughs> because it's impossible to read that part without feeling things in your heart, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> and in your eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Yeah, I cried, I cried literal tears the first time I read that oh, part yeah. of the chapter. <laughs> I don't know if I did, but I definitely almost did last night while I was reading this. It's like his... Because his, his expression is so... Of like emotionally touching and his mm-hmm. family's all like we want to be a family again and he's like is there like is it okay for me to isn't it okay for me to spend time with my family that I love and blah 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 mm-hmm. it's so touching yeah it's like it's like on some level be... he still feels like he doesn't deserve that kind of happiness mm-hmm. he like really wants to so. yeah exactly and the the son is like I want to save lives with you I became a doctor too and they're like I'm glad you remembered your calling to save mm-hmm. people and not just mm-hmm. uh, you know like kind of I think it was kind of interesting it was like was it Scar? Somebody told no 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 somebody else was like doing nothing uh, what yeah was it was the son it was the son yeah. oh the son was like you can't, doing nothing is is it uh, like the most cowardly thing of all yeah, yeah. exactly like that. Yeah. so like him trying Knox trying to I mean, he. I mean, he. It was all forced upon him, I guess. But <laughs> taking yeah. the, uh, you know, taking the, um, Hippocratic oath. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant like taking on new patients. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I meant <laughs> taking too. The Hippocr- I don't think a mistress has the Hippocratic oath. Have you seen what they did? <laughs> but yeah, like uh, it's you like know. first do no fuck. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But yeah, like him um, actually taking pride in treating patients, I think. And he mm-hmm. told his family, like, oh, yeah, I actually saw some patients today. And they're like, see, he's like doing stuff. Look at him do stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're like happy look. They, they look so happy. When he's talking mm-hmm. about it, yeah. It seems like it's been a long time. He's like, oh, you're all grown up now about the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I wonder how long it's been since they, well. He said it was like. Probably f- five years, right? Did he say? Wasn't it? He said. Well, he said, like, how long it's been since... I think he's... It was something like that. I can't remember the number. But yeah. It's been years, Because it was right after he... Uh, it was shortly after Ishval. So that... mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, they're back and they had coffee. Mm-hmm. And then Knox cried and we cried. 
It's really good. <laughs> I'm really happy for Dr. Knox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those moments where it's like, it's like, man, when this like random coroner was introduced, I didn't think I'd be like <laughs> sobbing over, right? his, yeah. over his happy his, family life. His happy, his happy <laughs> story of self-forgiveness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also like, it's so, it's like three pages. Like it sneaks mm-hmm. up on you in this chapter mm-hmm. where it's like, like first, um, like Lan Fon leaves or whatever, May and Lan Fon leave, right? So you, it kind of builds up to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's like, you kids, you kids stop fighting or whatever. And you're like, oh, Dr. Knox. And then like, then everybody leaves and it's quiet. And his family shows up and it's like, oh, Dr. Knox, oh, <laughs> Dr. Knox, you know? <laughs> yeah. Came out yeah, of that moment. Out of nowhere. Not out of yeah. nowhere, but almost out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. That moment got, always got to me too. The bit where he's like, like this old man's tired of like children trying to kill each other. Yeah. Like May and Lot Fawn. <laughs> yeah. And they're all like, we we agree, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we've been appropriately shamed <laughs> <laughs> by like a grumpy soft old man. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like I do like when they're leaving and he's like get the fuck out of my house and they're all like ha ha oh Dr. Knox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all their smiling faces even Fu is like ha, ha. Mm-hmm. soft old man. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. Fu's like I would know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> At first, I was like, oh, no, why is he being so mean? And then he's like, oh, you, you lost your arm, and he's so sad mm-hmm. for Lanfan. Mm-hmm. Also, they're, they, Lanfan is his granddaughter. Oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Important that was... reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first time that they yeah. said this. So mm-hmm. That blew my mind when I read it the first time. I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just cute, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, that was also touching, I guess. Mm-hmm. So... Something that I don't know, I wanted your your thoughts on. Sort of the way, like, the way Knox presented his family leaving and the way they came back, I feel like it doesn't quite match. And I wonder if it was more of, because like he said that uh, his family couldn't, like, connect after that time that he'd, like, tried to strangle his wife um, during one of his night terrors. And I wonder if it was more of that, like, he couldn't go back as much as them. I don't know. Yeah, I think I get the impression that it was definitely more like him pushing them away because he was afraid of hurting them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that being true. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. clear, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think they, the fact that they came to like check on him, you know. Yeah, because he even says that like they don't like they get along. Like it yeah. wasn't a problem like that, which was, like would led into his part of the story without being like, you have a family you get along with. Why don't you live <laughs> together? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he got shamed by Al. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true i i think it's just more like like it's not like they weren't trying i guess like i get the feeling that it's more like like this whole thing about him the him him choosing not to treat patients and like kind of removing himself from his family coupled mm-hmm. with some of the things that his son said about being like you can't just like like doing nothing is the worst kind of thing yeah. you can do mm-hmm. and whatever i feel like that's all like his kind of like self-imposed punishment for the things mm-hmm. that he's done and like yeah. how he's reacting to the things that he's done and stuff yeah him withdrawing yeah, is is his own kind of choice i guess mm-hmm. yeah because we talked we talked a bit about how he's been kind of he seems like he's just sort of been in a like a, in a stasis basically since mm-hmm. the ishvalan war like not trying to do anything in any direction and yeah i think it's like partially like he was afraid of hurting people mm-hmm. like both his family and probably like patients since he's like like, I can only work on dead bodies because I can't hurt them. Yeah. And also, like, feeling like he doesn't deserve any 
kind of happiness of mm-hmm. like being with his family and performing a job that he it feels proud of kids feel satisfaction from and everything like that mm-hmm. yeah that's the way that i interpreted it so i don't think it's like a disconnect i think it is more kind of about him yeah, yeah. and then the like hit, that's also kind of i feel like uh him being like you know like god please let me like can even i enjoy like this moment with my family or a moment of happiness with my family mm-hmm. it's kind mm-hmm. of like asking for that forgiveness i guess right yeah, yeah. That's why I feel like it's kind of, like, self-imposed mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm sure he was mm-hmm. definitely scared of, like, hurting his family and whatever. I'm sure they were concerned about him, but I think it's more, like, I don't know. It feels self-imposed. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. We see his soft, gooey center. Mm-hmm. He's treating so. patients again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Ones he didn't want to treat in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they thanked him so sincerely. They did. I wonder if we'll get to see more of Dr. Knox. That would be nice, too. Mm-hmm. At least we got to see a little bit, a little mini arc, if nothing else. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But I feel like everyone's going to get beaten up again, so we'll probably need him again <laughs> at some point. <laughs> it's like, if I've learned anything from this series, it's that yeah. many people end up in the hospital over and over again. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, One little thing I noticed with that, that Dr. Knox scene that I really just thought about like this time when I read it. Mm-hmm. Let me find it. Um, it's like after he has his, like, even a guy like me deserves and is happy to drink coffee with his family. They have, like, a, an exterior shot of his house and all the, like, lights are on. Aww. And you remember, like, the earlier scene where he says, like, like nobody else lives here, so I only ever have, like, one light on and people mm-hmm. get suspicious. It's like, oh, his family's back and all the lights are on the now. The lights are on. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cute. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> 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 oh, I had one other thing to say, I guess, about Lanfan and Fu. Well, a couple other things to say about Lanfan and Fu, related to Dr. Nox. Which is, um, Fu specifically told them, because they were talking about getting uh, Winry to, or Pinako to make uh, Lanfan's automail. Mm-hmm. Fu was like, sometimes it's necessary to detach ourselves from our emotions in order to accomplish our goal. So that was a good message for Ed now, because they don't really mm-hmm. do that. So, yeah, <laughs> kind of an interesting perspective. And neither does like Roy and Risa or whatever too. So, <laughs> um, I you could probably argue that Ishval like may have had to do that a bit. True, mm-hmm. true. Mm. I feel like they do most of the time, except when each other is in danger. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking. You know, like when when you are sobbing on the ground, firing every single shot into a thing that doesn't die. I feel like. <laughs> Your emotions have taken over at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Just a thought. Not that I would know from personal experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, no, no, no. I think you're right that most of the time. But it's just anyway. I just thought it was interest- an interesting thing for Fu to say to the to the children. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I liked when they were leaving. They were like, "We'll return, denizens of evil," or whatever. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Wow, that's harsh, but true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Harsh but fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, can we talk about um oh sorry did you want to say something that's because now you can say that you can't wait for lanfon to come back oh yeah i can't <laughs> wait for lanfon to come back yeah. the last like three episodes we recorded i was like i really wish lanfon would come back and it's like oh wait, she hasn't left yet so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've definitely edited myself edited out myself saying that several times recently <laughs> i can't wait for lanfon to come back why did lanfon have to leave oh, it's fine and then what I also edited out us having a long conversation about what her automail would be like, and then we were joking about her getting sand in her automail, because oh. like, I said it would be like Anakin. Yeah. 
I was like, maybe she'll have like a crazy like metal arm like Anakin. Anyway, yeah. This is what you miss when I cut, edit the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah, I hope they come back soon. I like mm-hmm. Fu too. He was gone for even longer than Lanfan. Yeah. Because so, yeah. he helped uh, Maria Ross and right. uh, Sheen. Imagine how much mm-hmm. he's been in the desert recently. Yeah. He must be thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I could really go for a popsicle. Yeah. I like that Ed was <laughs> lamenting having to go to Sheen because of yeah. going across the desert. Yeah. <laughs> I do like also like that he's just like, well, there's no helping it. We have to go to a foreign country. (laughs) It's the only thing that we can do. (laughs) Little did they know that we have some, there's some notes about that uh, Mm -hmm. might have some information that's relevant. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I also like that Scar, where the fuck did he hide the notes? I mean, I guess we'll find out, but he like went up north and hid them and then carried out his path of destroying all the, like, you know, the alchemists or whatever. So yeah, I guess we'll find out, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does seem to imply that his, like, uh, serial killing is a relatively recent development, so. Mm-hmm. I guess. spent some time, like, being distraught. In- <laughs> being distraught, and then maybe trying to interpret his brother's notes for a little while. And- well, he said he read all of them, and he understood all of them, except for the last part or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, hit them away for, you know, uh, a rainy day, I guess. Um- <laughs> I also wonder if we're going to see Hohenheim in the north because he was also all on the train and then he was hiking around. Although I guess he, well, he could see a mistress, but maybe that maybe you can see a mistress from there. I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. How far north? How high up? Yeah. The world may never know. <laughs> Until next chapter. <laughs> Until next time he shows up. It's like, yeah. I really miss Hohenheim. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just intrigued as to what he's doing. I, mm-hmm. I miss Lanfan with my in my heart like i wish you were in more scenes i don't miss hohenheim i'm just intrigued Mm -hmm. it's where he's going in his bullet ridden vest (laughs) bullet hole ridden vest (laughs) yeah so scar uh you know straight up blew up part of marco's face yeah yeah it was like a quote-unquote good idea (laughs) yeah Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like no one will no one will notice you this way and it's like but also i think you wanted to do that <laughs> yeah it's like i think you got yeah. a little pleasure out of <laughs> out of causing mm-hmm. that pain yeah and marco's just like what the hell like he has made progress though he stopped himself from just <laughs> killing him in a rage that's true he, mm-hmm. that's true think think more than like half a step ahead mm-hmm. to be like maybe i should get someone to look at these notes Mm-hmm. Someone who's a state alchemist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Marco is a good choice, I guess. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he probably knows what's up. He probably knows yeah. something about uh, what's up with alchemy and Amestris, I would guess. Because he has close connections to the homunculi. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they didn't choose it. And he's a skilled alchemist, obviously. They didn't choose him to do the Philosopher's Stone for no reason. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking, like, they didn't choose Show Tucker. <laughs> yeah, I was going to talk about that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they didn't choose him for nothing. Um, yeah. But yeah, he definitely fucked up Marco's face. And mm-hmm. he was like, May, fix it. <laughs> yeah. But not too much. Don't fix it too much. Yeah. <laughs> so well, just make sure he doesn't die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about how he, when we first met him, he, he was pretending to be Dr. Morrow. Mm-hmm. Sort of embracing, I guess, the, the doctor side of him. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work out so well. And now... He's going with Scar and Deformed, maybe embracing the more monstrous side of him. And just, I mean, more like acknowledging it and trying to, like, 
I don't know. You're all in the themes today. Mm-hmm. Right? So different. <clears throat> Normally at the end, you're like, I have two random thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just like, I didn't think about that. Cosm mm-hmm. is right. Or just like taking the chance to kind of start over. Like he has a new identity and a new face, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm not entirely sure if what, what, what it means just yet. Um, with his new face, if, if it is as a contract to his, like, Dr. Morrow phase, or, um... It's all Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Hmm. Yeah, I'm interested to, to, to look at it from that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a, like, transformation, crossing a threshold kind of metaphor there. I think that's one thing that's interesting about the whole all the scenes with Dr. Marco is when he's like, everyone's gonna recognize me, and Scar's like, don't worry, you fit in. Mm-hmm. With all these, like, with all the, um, whatever, who, homeless <laughs> or, well, I don't know, who knows what mm-hmm. their deal is, but the definitely the, the, um, disenfranchised of a mistress mm-hmm. that they were yeah. hanging out with, so, or hanging out near, I guess, mm-hmm. not with. But yeah, it's kind of interesting how Scar is, like, Marco's all worried about being recognized or whatever, and Scar's like, don't worry about it, no one's gonna mm-hmm. recognize you here or whatever, <laughs> like. I don't know. I feel like that all ties together, but I'm not really sure how. Yeah. I guess it's all part of his just, like... And he's also doing something, too. You know, we talked about, like, Knox is, like, doing stuff. He's doing yeah. things. Mm-hmm. That's how he's he's kind of, like... He had withdrawn, you know, from practicing medicine and from being with his family and all these other things. And, like, Marco kind of did the same. Like, he basically ran away. Yeah. And kind of... I wouldn't say that he tried to start a new life, but he, he definitely tried to hide behind another identity, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Marco committing to like review the notes and to travel with them and stuff is like doing something with the knowledge that he has from Ishval mm-hmm. and like moving forward. So that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Instead so of just instead like... of dying, I guess. Yeah. To die. Mm-hmm. Also, just love the weird little group that's formed. I know around Scar. <laughs> yeah. Akayoki is like not caught up on the Philosopher's Stone, where they're like. Yeah. That philosopher stone. He's like, isn't that fake? And it's like, <laughs> no one asked you, Yoki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have their weird it's group. Like, yeah, it's like a, a little bit when like Nate returns and Yoki's like, oh look, the girl's back. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whoa, exciting! The girl and her yeah. cat. <laughs> and then they're all heading up north together. <laughs> I <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> At least it seemed like Marco was there in the train station with her when they mm-hmm. ran into Grumman. So. Mm-hmm. Assume that Scar and Yoki are near nearby. I guess it's like everybody's heading north. Yep. <laughs> and Ed and Al had their um, speaking of people heading up north. I mm-hmm. guess Ed and Al are the last kind of people that the chapter focused on that we haven't talked about yet. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they also had their conversation at the beginning about what they would do after they get their bodies restored. Mm-hmm. And Al wants to eat pie, which I thought was charming and not mm-hmm. at all funny and girly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's I, like, like I, I get it. Like, it is really good pie. <laughs> yeah, I do love when they just like tease each other like siblings, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was funny and cute. And then Ed is like, mm. I don't even know. Like he hasn't even thought about it. Yeah, and he just says he wants to see everyone smiling, and they're all like, "Hey, like, do you think that they'll be happy?" And like, kind of thinking about what the future might be like once they have their bodies back. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. Also, like, um, going back a little further, like Reza's comment that like. There's a lot of people waiting for you to mm. like, get your bodies back. Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice that they have people who continue to support them. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though they're all in this crazy plot with the <laughs> monkey it's like, oh yeah, we should do that. <laughs> but they're they're back on the case. They're back mm-hmm. on the trail with again. <laughs> I felt like this was gonna be another kind of like crisis mini crisis scene where they're because Al is like, uh, I don't know, like I don't know if people would now that they he was thinking about like Knox being like I was a doctor, what am I doing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I studied, I want to study alchemy because I wanted to make mom smile or what she would think now, mm-hmm. blah, 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 stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So having some more doubts about their, I guess their path and the things that they've done and whatever. So, um, but in the end, I think they also were a little bit more cheered up and renewed in their path forward. So that was nice. Yeah. And now they're going to learn about alkahestry mm-hmm. and go to the north. And meet mm-hmm. other General Armstrong, Major General Armstrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Meet other Armstrong. Other Armstrong. <laughs> I can't believe there's another Armstrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, that'll be fun. Yeah. So everybody's there. So Kimberly's going up there to find Scar. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the Scar gangs going up there for uh, Scar's brother's notes, and then Ed is Ed is also going up there. I guess essentially for the Scar Scar gang, but. Yeah, so yeah, now we're all kind of chasing after different sections of the Scar Gang. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. all uh, playing the cat and mouse game again. We're all mm-hmm. on the chase again. So, except this time, Scar's the one that everyone's looking for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> instead of him going on the hunt for all the alchemists, so. mm-hmm. <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> I guess he doesn't even know though. He's just like Marco. I need you to read these notes. Come with me to the north, and now everyone's yeah. looking for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess we'll see what happens next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, is there any other things Cosmo do you have any random last thoughts I don't <laughs> what oh my god whoa <laughs> okay actually there was one <laughs> <laughs> I knew I could count on you <laughs> uh, it was small but it was um, Scar he, when he's talking about the Philosopher's Stone to May, May. I don't know just the way he's like the, I mean it might just be the translation it just seems a little off like you you shan't look Think of such a thing. Don't. Did he really say chance? I don't remember. It was. Say chance. <laughs> yeah, he's just like it's not something you should want or something. Yeah. Like that. He said you mustn't ask about that. It's not something you should desire. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like a very strange. Scar actually speaks very formally a lot of the time. It's something I've noticed while taking the oh, notes that I didn't really notice. Hmm. He uses a lot of like more formal kind of sounding language. I don't know how the Japanese is. But the translation, at least, is chosen to. Like he does a lot. He does a lot of those things, like mustn't and and like mm-hmm. I shall, whatever. It's like he's. I think he's kind of. The impression I get is that he's sort of, a lot of times speaking in kind of the like, religious way of speaking, like. Because mm. like especially in the early moments where he's like, like a, like Ishvala, you know, alchemy, alchemy is a crime against Ishvala, blah blah blah, yeah. kind of stuff. I see. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So my kind of took... like in, my kind of instinct is that since he was trained as like a like warrior monk kind of mm. person, mm. then he might have just kind of picked up that way of speaking. But yeah, I don't know. I can't tell from mm-hmm. his. I can't tell from his dialogue in Japanese if it's like supposed to represent something like in a specific mm-hmm. way because he doesn't. He doesn't even at least in this dialogue in this scene he's not even using like a desmos form or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So like it's not particularly formal, but it could be more like other ways that he speaks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just chose to have him talk that way. But Yeah, they might have just chosen it based off of his like early proclamations that were more like 
it could be ominous and like fire and brimstone mm. church kind of speech. Because this is like basically mm-hmm. like a normal conversation where it's just like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, you call him a doctor, like whatever. But yeah, uh, maybe yeah. his earlier. Um, definitely, I feel like his. I don't know. I could look back, but like I, his earlier speech was probably more like that. Like more. Mm, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. But yeah, it is something I kind of noticed. Well, like since I've been like you know actively looking at his dialogue yeah and like writing yeah. it out exact and stuff so yeah mm-hmm. i do think that's kind of a like a like subtly sweet moment like it's almost a like parental or older brother mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. to me yeah yeah i don't know it's definitely like uh he's not like i don't know he's not like yelling at her he's just like it's not something you should want and yeah kind of like yeah. warning her i guess it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I can look back at his dialogue, but it doesn't look abnormal. It's just very, uh, almost like yeah. pert. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not, like not formal's either. not quite the right word, but just like he, like not casual, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's he has this personality of like, it's not like standoffish, but and yeah, it's not like formal. And it's kind of curt, but not really. Like, even with his brothers, the way that some of the things are translated are kind of, like, mm-hmm. doesn't seem like how you would really talk to, like, a sibling. It's kind yeah. of formal. I don't even know what the word... I don't know how you would describe it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere between normal people, the way normal people speak, and formal. Yeah, it's like you know? the people... Like, like there's some people who just, like, don't relax around people very much. Yeah. yeah. It's just kind of that kind Uptight. of... Uptight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of... I could see you interpreting his dialogue in a kind of uh, uptight way. I mean, but it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like, I don't know. Not even, not really uptight, but. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, just not really relaxed. I can see him definitely in his, um, in his, like, little gang. Like, he's always kind of reserved. Maybe mm-hmm. reserved is the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he's kind of direct, I guess. Yeah. Like, him being like, you shouldn't want this is pretty straightforward he doesn't like he never like stutters or anything like in some mm. of the dialogue where uh, he's like yelling at marco and whatever like marco is all like like he's i mean obviously marco is, is freaked out but yeah you know what i mean i just feel like that's yeah. kind of part of his personality mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as personality i mean maybe that's what it is something like that yeah it's complicated mm-hmm. he's kind of stern yeah. <laughs> Scar never chuckles or anything. <laughs> no. You know. He has a mission. <laughs> yeah. It's an mission from Gad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a mission from Sh- Shvala. <laughs> All right. All done then. Okay, I guess not. Okay. <laughs> awkward silence? Yeah. <laughs> what are, what are we going to read next time? We are going to read chapters 64 and 65. Woo. Going to the north. Yay! Oh, I'm excited. Think about all the things that are in front of us. I don't even know what they are, but I know it's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, even, like, without knowing what's going forward, it's like, we've been hanging out in Central for a while, so... Yeah, Yeah, it's nice to go somewhere new. Fun to get to a a new location. Even when they're... Three days or whatever, Yeah. (laughs) Even in three days. Three days, but, like, I mean, weeks and weeks and weeks of us talking about it. It wasn't even that long. Yeah. Um, Or whatever. Real time in the story wasn't that long. Yeah. It was a long time for us. Even when they were in East City at the train station, I was like, oh, look, it's like Grumman. We haven't seen him in a while. Oh, look, they're <laughs> in a different place. Oh, exciting. Yeah. So, I guess we'll see what happens up north. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I'm waiting to see everyone's fabulous coats. <laughs> I'm excited. Even May was wearing a jacket in the translation. Fur trim. And... Yeah, and their fancy military coat, whatever. <laughs> it, stuff. <laughs> Embellishments. <laughs> <laughs> at least it looked like they were all wearing matching coats at the end of the chapter, so I assume mm-hmm. that's a, a standard issue military coat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. We will see you, you next time. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Or don't you mean bye? <laughs> bye. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the episode. <laughs> the rest of the episode, the end. Yeah. So, I mean, what's, what's left? I mean, I don't know. There might be a little, a little something special for them at the end. I'll cut in know. all our weird your story about <laughs> Homestar Runner. <laughs> 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 They're like, I didn't enjoy the rest of this episode at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, see you next time. See ya. Or see you for a Homestar Runner. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. I guess, it, I mean, uh sounds like a metaphor that the house is sort of his body, right? Like, or himself, right? He's been kind of empty and, like, not mm-hmm. fully there. And uh, now that his family's there, maybe he's ready to open up and, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it made me think of uh, an old Homestar Runner <laughs> short. <laughs> I was expecting you to say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the last thing yeah. I expected you to say. <laughs> a yes. Short story shorter. A homestar's looking for his uniform, so he asks one of the other characters, Coach Z, and the coach is like, your body... Your body is like a... No, your uniform is like a temple wherein you keep your uniform. Something <laughs> like that. And homestar's like, so I should look for... Oh, no, it's my hat. I may have to go watch it before I tell this story again. <laughs> it's a good one, though. Your hat. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Hold on. Are you going to look it up now? Yes, it's important. <laughs> I hope so. A man's uniform is like a temple wherein he keeps his uniform when he's not using it. What? <laughs> So you're saying his house is where he keeps his house, where he's not in his house? Yes. <laughs> is this like some kind of weird exhibit meme? Like, <laughs> so anyway, what was the point of your story? Question mark? Do there have to be a point? <laughs> <laughs>